Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. Canadian truckers and the government at an impasse. We have the latest on Ottawa's efforts to get the trucks out of downtown and what protest organizers are saying. Some politicians are taking flack for being caught maskless. Two were seen without a mask near children whose faces were covered and New York City's mayor was caught maskless after doubling down on his mandate for masks for schools. Germany's new chancellor meets with President Biden at the White House. His visit comes amid dire warnings of a full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine. Canada's trucker protests against vaccine mandates are now on their 11th day. It started as a movement against a vaccine requirement for cross-border truckers, but it's turned into a larger movement joined by people across Canada who oppose different vaccine mandates. NTD's Jessica Beatty has the latest. Canadian truckers with the Freedom Convoy aren't backing down, and neither is the Canadian government. Ottawa police warning Sunday that people donating supplies could be subject to arrest. As of tomorrow, the officers are going to be arresting people for trying to bring fuel. Police said they arrested seven people. The arrests were for mischief charges throughout the day. Protester Tom Quiggin said Monday police have also seized some fuel, but it was a relatively small amount. This after Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson declared a state of emergency Sunday. But protest organizers say their demonstration against vaccine mandates remains peaceful. And organizer Benjamin Dichter says if people are unhappy with the honking, they should contact Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and ask him to lift the mandates. Trudeau has refused to meet with the protesters. Tom Quiggin says multiple people across Canada have lost their jobs, homes and businesses as a result of COVID-19 mandates and restrictions. And they have grievances too, which is why they're protesting in the nation's capital. Let's remember most of Ottawa's government, huge number of civil servants here, they haven't missed a paycheck. So yes, it's unfortunate that they feel bad about the horns. Yes, it's unfortunate they feel bad about the disruption. But the rest of the country is hurting. The Freedom Convoy has also faced some financial pressure, with GoFundMe removing $8 million of donations last week. Ottawa's mayor later thanked the company for, quote, listening to the plea made by the city. It was clearly uh, direct uh, interference from the government uh, to cancel this campaign. We reached out to Mayor Watson for comment, but didn't hear back. Protest organizers have since set up a fundraising account with Give, Send, Go, which has already raised over $4 million. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Stacey Abrams, who is running for governor of Georgia, is facing backlash. It's because she visited a school over the weekend and posed with her bare face in a room full of children who were all masked. Abrams' political opponents criticized her for being hypocritical, but Abrams' campaign called those attacks shameful and a distraction. Abrams paid a visit to Glenwood Elementary School near Atlanta. It was to begin the African-American read-in, which takes place every year and has been going on for the last three years. The principal posted a picture of Abrams without a mask, even though the city has made masks mandatory again. This prompted backlash from her political opponents, who described it as a hypocritical action. That's because Abrams, a Democrat, sought stricter mask policies in schools. Abrams' campaign responded to the attack, telling Fox News, It is shameful that our opponents are using a Black History Month reading event for Georgia children as the impetus for a false political attack. And it is pitiful and predictable that our opponents continue to look for opportunities to distract from their failed records when it comes to protecting public health during the pandemic. 
Another politician was also caught maskless. Representative Jamal Bowman was photographed at a high school. He had no face covering on while the students in the picture had masks on. That was at New Rochelle High School on New Year's Eve. Bowman was there discussing a recent murder within the community. A mask mandate is in effect for all public schools in New York. The city says it's enforcing that rule. Bowman, also a Democrat, said on Twitter that people should continue to wear masks. That was on Thursday. Bowman has not responded to NTD's request for comment. New York City Mayor Eric Adams was seen speaking with restaurateurs as part of an event with the Belmont Business Improvement District. Bronx Little Italy posted this photo on Instagram of the mayor and others maskless. The photos come after Adams said he would tighten mask requirements at schools, even though a judge ruled against the statewide mask mandate. Some Democrat-led cities are looking to end vaccine and mask mandates. Chicago is one example, as well as Denver and others. And on the state level, Iowa is ending its COVID disaster declaration. However, New Jersey is imposing more rigorous vaccine mandates for health workers. In regards to this, former FDA official Rick Maida shares his perspective on the current state of the pandemic. Well, the first thing we have to do is change the way we view this virus. I mean, many governor, state governors have already accepted the fact that we are going to be living with COVID, COVID and its variants. And this is something that many health professionals, scientists, and epidemiologists have known for quite a period of time. So we have to change the context to say, we're no longer living in a pandemic, we're living in an endemic, which means we will have variants. And we have to continue, and it's very disappointing to see that the Biden administration has not rolled out a similar operation warp speed for treatment options. Uh, we see new drugs coming down the pike that have over 90% effectiveness for vaccinated and unvaccinated people to keep them out of hospital and from developing serious infections. And now you see the FDA under the Biden administration cutting off access to monoclonal antibodies and other treatment options. Let's look at a poll from Monmouth University. It says 70% of Americans accept COVID is here to stay and that it's time to move on with life. Is the Biden administration's strategy consistent with this sentiment? Absolutely not. For them, it's all about fear and control. If they allow for Americans to live with the virus, then they also have to accept the fact that we no longer live in a public health emergency. Now, the Biden administration has doubled down to reauthorize and reissue a federal public health emergency, uh, but they haven't really added any scientific or evidentiary basis on why we are in emergency. And many of us have been arguing, myself included, for a long period of time, you cannot live in a continual, perpetual state of emergency. It's either an emergency um, or it's not. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy is imposing stronger vaccine requirements on some healthcare personnel. He says it's an effort to protect the vulnerable population, which includes the elderly. What impact do you think this will have on patients and healthcare personnel? Look what happened when the pandemic first started. Same governor that authorized for COVID-infected patients from hospitals to move into nursing homes, allowing for New Jersey to lead the pack among the states with the highest number of COVID deaths when this first started. So his health policy has been an abysmal failure. Uh, for him to now institute additional mandates of vaccines, many of which have not even been approved by the FDA, nor have they shown efficacy as far as boosters goes, means that he does not take the time to actually read the science, read the evidence, and allow for healthcare workers to make decisions for themselves. Some healthcare workers in New Jersey have expressed concerns, some even to the point of quitting over the mandate. Meta says staffing shortages stemming from this issue have led the state to have to bring in out-of-state workers. He says this diminishes the continuity of care between doctors and patients.
President Joe Biden's pick to lead the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has found himself in a tough confirmation battle. Dr. Rob Califf, a longtime cardiologist, was last confirmed to run the agency during President Obama's final year in office. But it has been challenging for Califf to find anywhere near the same level of support from senators this time around. Many Democrats have said they won't back his confirmation, calling for fresh leadership at the FDA. He has been criticized for his ties to the pharmaceutical industry in the past. Biden announced in November that he was selecting Califf to return as the agency's head. The announcement came after a month-long search to find a nominee who the White House thought could win Senate confirmation. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz is in Washington for a high-stakes meeting with President Biden, and the West is questioning Berlin's resolve to confront Putin. I had a uh, productive talk Last week, uh, with President Biden is at the White House to meet Germany's new chancellor, Olaf Scholz. Efforts to deter a Russian invasion remain the focus of talks, though some NATO allies are questioning Berlin's reluctance in providing weapons to Ukraine. Verting uh, war and preserving the European political order is crucial for everything else that Germany wants to achieve in the world and, uh, frankly, also for the Biden administration. U.S. officials warned that the war could start any day, with 70 percent of Russia's military firepower already amassed on the Ukrainian border. In the case of a full-scale invasion, casualties in Kiev could reportedly reach as high as 50,000. Over the weekend, Biden was asked about Putin's intentions for the war. Across Europe, fears are rising that Russia could shut down the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline in retaliation for Western sanctions. That also has political implications at a time when you have a gas price uh, spike, when you have a gas supply problem, and yes, the Russians have something to do with that, and finally you have inflation. Russia's Vladimir Putin and China's Xi Jinping also met last week to form a common front against U.S. pressure. In this kind of situation, where so much depends on messaging, and where the Russians and also the Chinese are eagerly going to pick on every sign of divergence and division in the alliance. Um, I think you can expect the White House and the Chancellery in Berlin to be working overtime to make sure that there is no daylight between their positions going into the meeting. Scholz, following the footsteps of French President Emmanuel Macron, will travel to Ukraine and Russia next week. French President Emmanuel Macron flies to Moscow today in a risky diplomatic move. He is seeking commitments from Russian President Vladimir Putin to dial down tensions with Ukraine, where Western leaders fear the Kremlin plans an invasion. In a high-risk diplomatic move, French President Emmanuel Macron flew to Moscow and Kiev on Monday, Russia's and Ukraine's capitals. Western leaders fear a full-scale invasion of Ukraine by Russia as Moscow amasses troops on their shared border. Now Macron is seeking commitments from Russia's leader Vladimir Putin to dial down tensions with its neighbor. But his trip also comes just three months before a presidential election at home. Two sources close to Macron said one of his goals in Moscow was to buy time and freeze the situation until after the April elections. But if Macron returns empty-handed, the situation could prove embarrassing for a leader who has staked a lot of political capital on his mission. Since he took office in 2017, the French leader has become known for his sparring encounters with Putin that have brought painful setbacks amid close dialogue. Eastern European countries who have suffered under Soviet rule have also grown wary of Macron's cooperative stance with Russia. 
To counter critics, Macron has consulted extensively with other Western leaders ahead of his trip, including Britain's Boris Johnson and U.S. President Joe Biden. Two U.S. officials said over the weekend that Russia already has in place about 70 percent of the combat power that it would need for an invasion. But Moscow has denied those plans, instead saying it could take unspecified military action if its security demands are not met, including that NATO never admits Ukraine as a member, a demand both the U.S. and NATO have called unacceptable. The U.S. Coast Guard and a Good Samaritan rescued 18 people who were stranded on an ice floe after it broke away from Catawba Island in Lake Erie on Sunday. The group of 18 were riding snowmobiles and all-terrain vehicles on the frozen lake when the section they were on broke away. A U.S. Coast Guard helicopter crew was the first to spot the stranded group and initiated rescue operations. The Coast Guard rescued 11 of the group with an airboat and a helicopter. A private citizen with an airboat also assisted with the rescue, transporting seven people from the flow, according to the U.S. Coast Guard. Officials say quick thinking by a Maryland police officer saved a middle school student from being hit by a car. Corporal Annette Goodyear of the Northeast Police Department was directing traffic at a crosswalk when the student entered the intersection. The officer then realized that an approaching car was not going to be able to stop in time and reacted quickly by pushing the student out of the way. The officer herself was struck. Cecil County says they are working on commendations for Goodyear. The Northeast Police Department says Goodyear was taken to the hospital with minor injuries and later released. The driver of the car was cited for several traffic violations, including negligent driving. One Navy SEAL candidate died and a second has been hospitalized. It happened after they completed a training phase called Hell Week. That's a brutal training week used as the first phase of assessment of Special Operations Force candidates. Naval Special Warfare Command says the SEAL candidate's cause of death is not yet known. The Navy confirmed on Sunday that the 24-year-old seaman died at a hospital in California on Friday. The injured candidate is in stable condition and the Naval Medical Center in San Diego. The Navy says the trainees were not actively training when they reported symptoms. It said they were then transported to receive emergency care. In a statement, the Navy extended their deepest sympathies to the seaman's family and the military said the Naval Special Warfare Command is investigating the death. The last SEAL candidate to die during the assessment phase was in 2016. Mexican authorities on Sunday cleared a makeshift camp. Hundreds of migrants heading toward the U.S. border had been holding out there for more than a year. Rights organizations criticized the camp's deplorable conditions. Nearly 400 migrants were transferred by bus to shelters near the border city of Tijuana. Dozens of security personnel were seen dissolving the makeshift camp. Helpers included soldiers from the National Guard. There were no reports of violence. The migrants' tents were demolished with help of excavators and trucks. The camp's inhabitants loaded their few belongings into bags and suitcases to transfer to three local shelters. The El Chaparral camp started at the end of January 2021 with the arrival of the Biden administration. The camp had become a headache for authorities in both countries. It affected traffic through one of the three pedestrian crossings into San Diego. The FBI captured one of its 10 most wanted fugitives in Mexico on Thursday after 16 years on the run. Octaviano Juarez Coro was wanted for a 2006 mass shooting in a Milwaukee park on Memorial Day. 
Milwaukee police say Juarez Coro shot five people execution style, leaving two dead and three injured. His wife was among those wounded. The FBI offered a $10,000 reward for information leading to his arrest. Whether it was that or his age-progressed wanted poster, the FBI says a tip led to his arrest in Guadalajara. The FBI is hoping publicity about his case will help agents find the nine remaining fugitives on their top ten list. Still to come, Chinese tennis star Peng Shuai denies she ever made sexual assault allegations. Discussions about her are still heavily censored in China. Find out more here on NTD News. Chinese tennis player Peng Shuai denies ever accusing anyone of sexual assault. She also pointed out that she deleted her social media post in November that made such a claim. Chinese tennis player Peng Shuai denied she ever accused someone of sexual assault in an interview with a French newspaper L'Equipe. She told L'Equipe that she herself had deleted the social media post in November that made the claim. The well-being of Peng, a three-time Olympian, became a matter of global concern in November. That's when she appeared to allege on social media that a former Chinese vice premier, Zhang Gali, had sexually assaulted her in the past. However, in the interview with the newspaper in a hotel in Beijing, she said it was, quote, a huge misunderstanding. She added that she did not want, quote, any further media hype about it. Peng's social media post, deleted quickly after it was posted on China's Twitter like Weibo, led the Women's Tennis Association to suspend tournaments in China. It sparked an international outcry about her safety. On Saturday, the International Olympic Committee had a face-to-face meeting with her over dinner in Beijing. Peng Shui informed the president that she would attend several events at the Winter Olympics over the coming days. That's according to an IOC statement. She also said she intended to travel to Europe when the pandemic is over. Discussion of the scandal has been heavily censored in China's tightly controlled cyberspace, and searches for Peng's name on Weibo continue to show no recent search results. American snowboarder Sean White says the Beijing Olympics will be his last snowboarding competition. The 35-year-old Olympian says he plans to retire from all competition. White is in Beijing, competing in his fifth Olympics. He already said Beijing would be his last Olympics appearance, but now he says it will be his last of any competition. White won gold medals in the 2006, 2010, and 2018 Olympic Games. He said knee and back issues lingered. He says he decided to retire during a quiet moment when he got lost at a ski resort. He took a long chairlift ride over an empty mountain by himself, and as he watched the sunset go down, he took it as a sign of his future. White is one of the oldest members of the United States snowboarding team. In Beijing, he will face a hungry field of competitors that include Japan's 23-year-old Ayumu Hirano. Hirano beat White in a competition in Switzerland last month. A 30-year-old IT professional has cracked an unusual record the man hula hoops while in the abdominal plank position, and he can do it for 6.34 minutes. He says he hardly notices the hula hoop. He says holding the plank position is what he most concerned about. He says it's very tiring. 
but he has been familiar with the hula hoop since childhood. He uses the time before and after to practice before and after work to practice his plank holding skills. He was inspired to try and break the planking hula hoop record when he saw a video of the previous record holder on social media. Friends and family didn't take his goal seriously at first, but he continued training and has now almost doubled the former record of 3.14 minutes. A highway bridge in northwest Germany was detonated and crashed to the ground. A new bridge was built alongside it to take its place. The old bridge had to fall while keeping the new bridge intact. For safety reasons, a crowd of curious bystanders had to maintain a distance of about 1,000 feet. The area was temporarily sealed off and no traffic was allowed to cross the new bridge. On Sunday morning, a small explosion went off first to scare birds away, and then a countdown was initiated. Two minutes later, 265 pounds of explosives were ignited. The bridge measured almost 1,600 feet long and 240 feet high. It collapsed cleanly according to plan. Before detonation, higher parts of the bridge were dismantled in order to better control the collapse. It was the first time ever a bridge of that height was detonated in Germany. Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6.30 Eastern. In New York City, I'm Kevin Hogan.